Welcome to Strength Roots Podcast, presented by Hyperthrive Athletics, where we dissect the mindsets, stories, habits, and tactics of elite performers. Strength Roots Podcast, the growth starts here. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Strength Roots Podcast, presented by Hyperthrive Athletics. Today, our episode, we had a great conversation with Danielle Martin. It was honestly one of the most amazing life stories that I've ever heard, and it was just such an incredible conversation. You guys are going to get so much from it. I'm so excited for you guys to listen. Um, Danielle's background is is truly incredible. Um, she started out her career as a professional surfer, had a ton of success in that realm, um, and then moved on to be a TV personality. She also played D1 softball at UCLA. Um, she also went on to be a world champion in jujitsu. Her her story is just incredible, and now she really focuses on helping people with the mental aspect um, in every realm of life. She's a motivational speaker, um, a mental personal coach, and you guys are just going to take so much away from this that I'm really excited for you guys to listen. So without further ado, here's our Strength Roots podcast with Danielle Martin. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Strength Roots podcast. Super excited about the guest we have today, Danielle Martin. Um, You know, we've known each other for five-ish months now Mm -hmm. and I can truly say that you're probably one of the most amazing people that I've ever met so I'm just excited that you know you get to tell some of our listeners your story what you've learned the adversity you've hit and how you've grown from it how you help people Uh, because I truly think you know obviously serving others is a huge piece of life Um, so I kind of want to jump into uh, your story So why don't you start all the way from the beginning, you know, where you grew up, what was childhood like, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, Thank you for saying those things. And thank you guys for having me. Um, You know, I grew up, I had kind of the best of both worlds. I grew up in, um, on Kauai and in Dana Point, California. So really rough places near the (laughs) beach, (laughs) surfing really good waves. Um, I, I have, I'm the oldest of three girls and, um, my real parents are separated and I kind of have, I had a lot of adversity growing up, um, in high school. Um, you know, I, I don't know where you want me to start. There's so many details and things and I don't want to talk for too long, but, um, really I think growing up with adversity, no matter what kind it was, um, sports was really a big go-to for me. And I knew at a young little age that I wanted to be a professional surfer and I used to like run laps in the living room doing extra stuff. Like I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I was a nightmare kid. Like I was constantly in the street. If there was like little pickup games going on of anything I was playing, I was asking to play. I was down um, surfing as much as I possibly could. Um, I was the only little girl in um, the local little league. So there's about like 400 little, 400 little boys. And then I played and um, I fell in love with baseball at a young age and um, played baseball surfed and, um, I danced, I did ballet and, um, just kind of played in the street. I was always outside playing with my sisters and, um, playing with the boys in the neighborhood, causing trouble, throwing water balloons at cars and doing (laughs) naughty little kid things. And then, um, after high school, um, I, I went back and forth to Kauai and then back to Dana point and then, um, had some, you know, interesting things happen in high school where, you know, for a while I was homeless and trying to hide that through high school. And that was challenging. And I look back now and I think like 
I just see that little girl, you know, and it, and it hurts. It makes you sad. You see it and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I don't, I just felt like, so I, I just felt like there was certain people at certain times that came in my life that would say something to kind of put me on a path or people that would say, Hey, come live with us. And I ended up living with um, a family. One of my friends I played little league with who, you know, basically everybody thought we were brother and sister. So I, I lived with his family, graduated high school. And, um, right after went professional in surfing and got sponsors and basically was just in Hawaii surfing waves back in Hawaii. And then, um, you know, the sports thing, I started playing softball in high school and, um, because I couldn't play baseball and I remember not really understanding the game and I was the only freshman on varsity and not really realizing like what that meant. And, you know, all these different things that had happened. Um, I know I'm kind of bouncing all around, but my mind's I'm seeing it in my head. It's fine. And, uh, I remember getting kind of unanimously asked to play in the all-star game and taking a bus up to diamond diamond bar to play in it. And then kind of getting there and all these girls were, you know, the best in the country. And, um, I was the only one there without a scholarship, which was so strange because I'd gotten all these recruiting letters and thinking that, oh my gosh, I got to pay to go to these places. I didn't realize that the recruiting was like, they're bringing you. Mm -hmm. So I had, I mean, tons and tons of letters. I was getting them from the school and I never knew why the school never called me in and were like, Hey, you have pretty good grades. You're all these colleges are coming after you. Let us help you. Nobody said anything. I think because they just assumed, you know, that I had it all taken care of because I put on a good front. Like everything was good. I was, um, I won state championships for surfing my senior year. Um, and I think my junior year, I was elected like best athlete in the state of California. So everybody just assumed again, like that everything's fine. And it really was so far from fine. And so I just fought really hard through high school, working jobs, playing sports. Um, I graduated with um, 12 varsity letters and it was still overseen by the colleges. And that's one thing I always try to tell kids is, you know, when you think that you're just, you just got it and it's just going to happen or it's just automatic. I think things are a lot more organized now and technology brings another platform that helps these kids and the combines that are going on, but they didn't really have that. So, um, fast forward, I get out of high school. I, um, was surfing surfing magazine asked me to do their swimsuit pullout. So I wasn't just going to model. It was cool. Cause they were like, Hey, you're going to be surfing. You're going to wear the swimsuits and that's how we're going to do it. So we were the first girls, me, Malia Jones and a girl named Ipo Mateo were the first girls that they gave money to surfing magazine was like, yeah, we're going to pay the girls and have you guys go do something great. So we were really proud of that and um, kind of putting a different face on women athletes, women surfers. Um, you know, it was, it was fun to kind of, front run that and and do it right and set a good example for the younger little girls looking up. So I'm, you know, doing the modeling, running all around coast to coast. And I picked up a TV show that was a sports show. And basically we would go out and let's say, Braden, we would go out and interview you. And I, you'd be like, okay, I'm an outfielder. I basically go out of the outfield with you. And you'd be like, this is how I do my job. Or if it was a BMX guy, we'd be on top of a ramp. He'd be like, okay, so drop in like this. So you know, I ate a lot of crap <laughs> on um, a lot of different segments. But one of the segments was um, how I got to UCLA was Reebok called up and they said, hey, will you come and send your host to film our combine? We want to cover the combine here at UCLA. And uh, my cameraman's, okay, this is what we're doing. Bring some cleats, whatever. I just get my clothes and go. And it was a football combine. So 
all the guys, I'd put a mic on and I'd just go out kind of in the pack with the kids and play and whatever. And I wasn't much older than them. And um, all these coaches were out there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I had never been to the campus. I was just like, oh my gosh. You know, and quite frankly, I never looked at it like I would be good enough to go to any of these places. I never really visited a true college campus. So I go to the men's combine and I get called back from Reebok to do the women's. And so the women's was not just obviously one sport. It was um, soccer, softball, volleyball, basketball. And I remember I had this like bad feeling in my chest because I tried to go to UH one year and play ball and um, just walk on while I was surfing in Hawaii. And I made the team and then I got injured and redshirted and the coach was completely unprofessional. So just the whole college thing. And I just kept feeling like I wanted a college degree so bad. I wanted something somebody couldn't take from me. But then on the flip side, that was kind of my personal self. And on the other side, I was like on the covers of magazines and surfing. Like I had this dream life. Everybody's like, you have your own show. You're, you know, but I was really like, I just wanted the simple college degree. I wanted to play ball in college or a sport in college. So I kind of felt a little bit jealous and bitter going to this combine. I was like, I'm not covering softball. They're like, well, you kind of have to. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not. And they're like, we want you to speak to all the girls. And I basically just told them kind of what I was saying. Like when you think that you have a 3.5 and you're the best at something, jump off the cliff and try to do better, ask questions, do these things. And I remember standing in front of these girls and they're like looking up at me and I'm signing surfing photos for them. And I was so jealous of them. Like I was just like envious and I was just felt like a pit in my stomach all day. So we go out, we cover some of the sports and you know, my cameraman, Jeff was like, okay, let's head out to the softball field. And I'm like, I'm not going out there. And he, and I said, I didn't bring my stuff. And then he's like, here's your stuff. He grabbed my bag out of my garage. I was like, oh my gosh. So I throw the cleats on and go out. Kelly Inouye, who's now the head coach at UCLA, was the assistant coach there. And um, I walk up. I'm like, hey, Daniel Martin here. So what do we got? Show us what you, you have your recruits do. And um, she's like, uh, we run the bases. We throw some balls in. And we just, we're looking for this, this and that. That's what we do. That's kind of who we look to. So I'd gotten a recruiting um, letter from UCLA and actually was signed by Kelly but I didn't realize it, but I'd saved that one in a little box. I had like one little box of stuff and it was because it was on a Bruin bear face. And um, I was like, what a cute stationery. I threw it in there, right? That's the only recruiting little letter I kept. Didn't realize it. I'm not putting all this together. So I'm out there and I go run the bases. I go out, throw some balls. Like I got to center field, throw some balls in and then hit some balls. And then I'm like, okay, nice meeting you. Take care. She's like, hold on a second. Like um, she's like going under pad. She was like taking times down and stuff. And um, she's like, how old are you? I was like, I think I was like 20 or 21. I was like, yeah. She goes, do you have any eligibility left? Like you, you play this game. And I said, yeah, I play a little bit. And she's like, would you want to play here? And I, I remember I was like, about to cry. I was like, um, yeah, my cameraman's yeah, she wants to play here. And, uh, and, and I was like, I guess she's like, this is like crazy. She goes, cause your times are better than all our recruits here. So I'm wondering like what we could do. I'm going to call Sue Anquist up. I'm going to talk to her and we're going to be in touch with you. And, and I don't think they could be in touch, you know, the NCAA stuff. So my cameraman's like, give me the stuff. I will handle this. So I'm like sobbing in the car. I didn't know why. I just felt really like taken aback. They, you know, just really emotional. I didn't know why. And, um, I just think like growing up when you go through stuff like that, you just don't feel good enough. You know, I think that's one of my, I'm going to be completely transparent and vulnerable. I just grew up feeling not good enough at so many things. And um, I thank God for being an athlete because that kept me on such a good path, um, kind of a straight arrow path of, you know, very intentional with what I was doing and why I was doing it. So fast forward, Sue Inquist calls 
my cameraman and they come down. She's really not supposed to engage with me at all. So she's like, I can talk to you, not her, but I want to see her thrill. I want to see her do her thing. So I choose like my little league field, which, you know, was some of the best years of my life. I go out there, my cameraman hits me some balls and um, I like throwing them in. And she's like, yeah, we want to, we want to do this. She's like, listen, I don't have any scholarship money or whatever. And, you know, modeling, I was making a lot of like a lot of money per day. And I called my surf sponsors and I'm like, Hey, what do you guys think if I went to college? Like, and you know, I try to like pitch it on them. I'm like, listen, you don't have surfers that are college athletes and college grads. All these little girls are looking up to me. I would love to like set that example. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll support that. You know, we'll still keep you on, just do some photo shoots here and there. And we can shoot you over Hawaii and get some photos in the waves. I was like, okay, I'll make it all work somehow. So I went into UCLA and um, I got in and played on the team. So I kind of came in the back door and basically walked out the front. I graduated and it was like the greatest thing, one of the greatest things I've ever done. It was um, amazing when you think like you're not good enough for something and then you've, you're looking around and you're like, okay, obviously this is where I'm meant to be. And I pulled out that box of stuff because I was like, I swear I had a letter from Kelly and on a bare face and I pull it out and there it was. And Kelly was just like, oh my gosh okay, now we know who you are. Like at one point I had like the highest batting average and, you know, they put everything in the papers. So that's basically how they did it. And um, I looked back on like some of my stuff. I think during that time I was just in, just so fast forward. I never really realized what it was I was doing or how good I was or anything because I was so focused on what was going on on the inside, like just not feeling good enough and trying to put on a front and call in high school. It's hard, you know, you just want to, kind of fit in and have what everybody else has. And, you know, that was not the case. Yeah. I think one thing I, I love to ask my athletes this, and I think everybody kind of understands it from a young age. It's like the difference between belonging and fitting in. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you spent a lot of time like fitting in and you did a great job at it, you know, mm-hmm. like where people were looking up to you. So what did it feel like going through that where you were struggling on the inside with um, your own sense of like um, worthiness, right? But from the outside perspective, like it was a completely different story, right? Did you, did you almost feel like you were li- living like separate lives in that way? I don't know if it's separate lives as much as it is just you're lonely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's lonely. And you, you feel like you're at the bottom and looking back, I was way at the top. Mm-hmm. And, and that is really what set me kind of into my own space. You know, I was doing something other kids weren't doing. I was facing adversity. Other kids, a lot of them weren't facing um, I, I'm not sure. I always look back. I said, I have a group of angels on my shoulder because I was in so many certain situations. You know, when you're going into a beach park and you're trying to hide yourself and your body from not looking like a woman so that you don't get raped by a bum or, you know, so there were so many times I looked back and just how the, your instincts come to, you know, surface. And then you got to go from that environment in the morning to the locker room, you know, and then the lady would clean my clothes for me. I would ask her, I told her my situation and then I would kind of hide shower and then boom, be at school, you know, walk out the locker room, like at school, trying to act like a normal kid and, you know, crappy clothes and not being able to afford, you know, a prom dress and being elected to the homecoming court and pulling myself off of it in fear of like, where's my dad? They need my dad to escort me. I need a dress, all these you know, cost. I wish I had said something because I know so many parents out there would have been like so honored to have me ask like one of my, the baseball dads or something, yeah. because, you know, I was so loved. I was so, um, supported, but from a distance because people just didn't know. Mm-hmm. 
So to jump back a little bit, you said you're the oldest of three, right? You have two younger sisters? I actually have three sisters, but I found out about one like three years ago. So man, that's crazy. But so I think a lot of um, oldest siblings like feel that need to put on a front, especially when Mm -hmm. the family's going through adversity. Do you Mm -hmm. think being the oldest sibling kind of in that way set you up to play that role of like, you know, always putting on the the strong face. So for your siblings, like when you were going through your adversity, what was your relationship like with your sisters through all that? Absolutely. It did. I think um, they were a huge motivating factor for me mm-hmm. in terms of not just trying to inspire them to be better and, and be different and not just fall to the, you know, let's try some alcohol. Let's go to these parties. Let's do this. Like, and you know, to this day, I've never tried a cigarette. I've never done a drug. And I wanted to graduate from college. I wanted to set a good example for my sisters Mm -hmm. and always thinking they're watching me, even when I wasn't near them. You know, they were in Hawaii on Kauai and I was back over here on my own. And, you know, but I always knew they were watching me. Mm -hmm. And instead of lecturing, instead of talking to them or telling them to do something, just trying to show them. And, you know, I'm so grateful for them because they don't even realize, you know, the power that they had in my life at that time Mm -hmm. when you're in sheer survival mode. It's it's important to have that, whether you know it or not. You know, I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so young. I didn't really know. And that's why I just feel so blessed because I don't know how I had that sensibility to stay on such a clean, right track. Yeah. And um, I really give so much credit to just being an athlete. You have a place that a coach and other people want you to show up to. They expect you to be there. Mm-hmm. So it's nice. You're like, people care if I show up. Yeah. As far as surfing, like I've never surfed a day okay. in my life, right? And to me... Like I look at big wave surfers and I'm like, how, what was the progression to that? You know what I mean? With surfing, I'm like, there's no, there's no like bunny slopes in surfing. Well, I mean, there's smaller waves, but it's like every single time you have to just step up and like accept the challenge. So what did, how did surfing at a young age, like, were there any mentors that helped you do that? Who helped you like progress in that way? And what was like, what was different in your mindset that allowed you to just keep conquering the next wave? Well, I, I always say I found my confidence in the water. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, and it pushes you because there is no tapping out like on a jujitsu mat. There is no calling time like on a baseball field. So you paddle out there, you're in mother nature, you're amidst the most powerful element yeah. and you are forced to learn your limits and, and to even break through those. Uh, I, I was surfed every single day. I'd only wanted to be in the water. I felt more comfortable in the water. It was kind of my place to just get away from everything, mm-hmm. but also to push myself. And because I had intentions on wanting to be the best at what I could do in terms of that and to know that opportunity light out there was something I wanted. You know, I got, I I was doing so many other things. So I think it kept me from going all the way with it for certain circumstances and leaving surfing to go to college was a big deal. And, you know, then I was working in the entertainment industry in LA. So there were so many things, but um, surfing is just it's an international language with other people too that surf. You can go anywhere. If there's water, people surf, you have friends, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. It's just, it's so powerful. It, it, um, it's the first thing I feel like I, I always am. It's my foundation. I'm always a surfer. I'm always gonna, you know, relate to that. And in terms of the waves, like <laughs> you get knocked down, you get back up. Right. Mm-hmm. I always say it's not how we get, get knocked down. That defines us. It's how we get up. It's how we choose to react to certain things. So, you know, the progression, yeah, small waves, you're getting pushed in by your parent, your dad. And there's people that you see that are like, hey, let's get out and surf. And mostly I'd paddle out. I was this little girl. I'd paddle out and people would start to know who I was. They'd be like, go. And, 
you know, really egging me on to go and do better, be bigger and say great things. And then you have local surf shops that are like, Hey, we come on in. We want to sponsor you. Here's a sticker, put it on your board. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it starts getting bigger than that. And, and it's money and, and it's, you know, serious, more serious, but only like, I would say two years ago, um, did I do big wave surfing? And I will tell you, there's no pictures, there's no video that depicts how serious that was. Yeah. Um, I felt like paddling out. I paddled at Waimea. It was like 20, 20 feet. And um, I wasn't nervous until I got in the water and felt it moving. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, somebody gave me a vest and I looked at it. I was like in this cute bikini and I'm like, oh, I'm not wearing this. And then I put it on and I felt so bulky. I'm like, this is ridiculous. As soon as I got in the water, I felt so small. I kind of was like, hey, do you have some pants like that too? <laughs> I was like, bring, bring it on. But um, paddling over the first sets, it was like you're dirt biking and that's like a mountain you're climbing on your dirt bike. It's what it felt like. Yeah, and I and thought, this is not surfing. And there's no control. It's not like you can like call it quits and get out of the water. No. Like you, you're... Yeah in that and I just no it's I can't even imagine what that feels like like being out there and it's a sense of suspense where there's so much about it you don't control right you control like, nothing it's <laughs> it's like a reflection of life we control our attitude yeah I paddled out there I, I mean the guys were like hey the you know come on over here mm-hmm. and I remember I literally said this it was about eight like Hawaiian guys in the water and a friend of mine and um I looked over I said you know what <laughs> this is terrible. I said, um, I'm trying to grow a set over here. So once I do, I'll paddle over there. Okay. <laughs> like I literally got out there and I was thinking to myself, I'm going to give myself permission to not have to catch a wave. I don't want to. It was way harder than I thought. Yeah. The boards are humongous. And I didn't even realize like how to, how am I going to paddle? And the first wave I tried to paddle into, I, I decided to pull out of it. And the board is so big, it like kind of sticks to the wave. And so I almost wasn't able to pull out of it. And I literally probably would have died. I I mean, what I saw, the drop, the wave sucks out. So you're like on a two-story building and you look over to your left and this wave's barreling and you're seeing houses through the barrel that are the whole house. And and then the wave's wrapping through the bay like this, this mountain of water. Mm -hmm. You're like, how do I, how am I going to survive if I'm underneath that? Yeah. So the next one I pulled out of that one and I scared myself. So I paddled out again, way out. There's like a whale's breaching. You're like, Oh, I'm just shark bait out here. Mm-hmm. And, and then all of a sudden the Hawaiian guy's like, Oh go!" I was like, don't say that. I will just turn around and go if I'm going to go, I might not go. And they're like, yeah. I'm going to catch one. They're like, no, you got to come out and tell us how the one was. So you got to catch two. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I did catch two. And then I caught the next one and it was just like the craziest feeling, but I'm, it wasn't normal surfing. That is another no. sport. I, I want to call it something else. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're not scared of sharks. Then. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm scared of land sharks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> more sharks on I, land in the water. Trust me. I give you credit because I be on land cheering <laughs> you on. There's no way I'm touching the water. Um, I did. I watched uh, this doc. I don't know if you saw the Kelly Slater documentary on HBO. Yes. Yeah, about the the surfing competitions. Yeah, momentum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The momentum generation. And I like I when I was watching like well, you just explained, like, you know, you saw it with him. He would like go to drop in and like it just wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Or he'd have that like last second thought. Mm-hmm. Um, is it I mean, I can only you know, like if you're playing baseball, or you're playing football or soccer, whatever it is you're doing, uh the consequences don't wouldn't always you know, if you get sucked under a wave, I mean, you're under there for what, like a minute and a half? No, minutes. it depends on it depends on the wave, where you are, that kind of thing. You're not under that long. But I mean, feels that long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the consequences are obviously more. 
Yeah, I mean, we've had we've lost friends. Um, Todd Chesser passed away. Keone Watson passed away. Kelly Kelly was out surfing Waimea, and a big giant cleanup set came in, and him and this kid Donnie Solomon, he was from Ventura area, were on a wave together. And Donnie paddled back out. Kelly went up to get his girlfriend for lunch or something. And as he was going, a cleanup set came through the bay. So everybody just got cleaned up in it. And I think what happened, Donnie went up and then got caught in the lip and the wave took him back and landed down. It's like getting thrown off the balcony mm-hmm. with water coming down. So this cleanup set came and, you know, his board was, I think they call it like headstoning because he's hanging from the leash at the bottom. So the board comes up and it's just doing this, you know, somebody's attached to the board. And so the jet skis got cleaned up too. So when that happens, you know, nobody's there to be able to help him. And they tried to revive him on the beach and um, they couldn't. And as Kelly was coming back down, they had him out on the beach. So he jumped out of the car and he was, you know, a lot of people were devastated. Um, We all were when somebody dies like that. Todd Chesser was one of the, he was like the fit guy, like the guy that would get everybody going, doing sit-ups. He's like thousand sit-ups a day guy, like the most fit, um, happy, amazing soul, like just a complete stud in the water, complete waterman, just, just really great person. And everybody, when he passed away, I think it set them back. They're like, okay, if that can happen to Todd, it can happen to anybody. Like it was really scary. And um, they went out and surfed um, a place on the North shore. There was a trade show going on in San Diego. I remember. And um, we were all there with our sponsors. And then all of a sudden people were just like walking like ghosts in the, in the aisles. And um, like what happened? And they were like, Todd Chesser just drowned on the North shore. And you're just like, what? Like he was like Laird Hamilton. He was like, there was Laird and then Todd. And I was like, what? Everybody was just sitting down like, that can happen. And all these guys, you know, I remember um, I was sitting next to Sonny Garcia. He was sitting there and, you know, the Malloys were walking around, all these big surfers, and they're just sitting down, like, head in their hands, trying to think what to do next. Like, what, what does that mean, you know? Because if Todd could drown, like, now this is real, you know? Do you think you become, like, separated to that, to that, that danger, that risk to some extent? And then it becomes real when something like that happens. And how do you handle it when it does become real? And it's like the realization of, oh man, every time I go out, like I am taking the risk of that. Like, how do you, how do you come to terms with that? You know, I don't know if it's come to terms. I think, um, athletes were crazy or <laughs> crazy. I told Braden that, you know, I, I do mental skills and, and mindset coaching and I don't try to meddle in the crazy and I mean, he takes a risk every time he steps in the box and guys are throwing 96, 97 miles an hour, yeah. you know, the helmet, if they pop him in the face or the head, I mean, he could die. So, or the spleen. Yeah. Or the, yeah. <laughs> kick him in the spleen, yeah. ball, the spleen, yeah. but it, it's, um, it's the same. I think you've got to set that aside. Um, I think what we resist, we strengthen. So what we fear, it's like being in the, in the thing you're like, Oh my God, it's not my day. Please don't hit it to me. And then that like outfield line drive comes where you don't know if it's rising or dropping. Mm-hmm. You're like, whoa, you know, it, I, I just try not to have that. I, I got, you know, checked when I was out at YMA a couple of times. That's why I paddled way out past the water. And I was like, this is the time where I'm breathing and I'm feeling kind of my own intuition. I'm listening to it, you know, and it's so crazy how mm-hmm. strong it came on out there. I was like, maybe I'm not going to catch a wave out here and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I would ever do something like that. It's like stepping on the mat in a fight and you're like, I'm scared of her. I'm not fighting her. Yeah. Like, I just don't think like that. I think the preparation for athletes is so important. And I think we take that preparation and then we go with it. 
Mm-hmm. And you're not always 100%. You're not going to be 100%, no matter if it's like what you said, how do you come to terms with that? Mm-hmm. I think in the preparation, we can say it's important for us to be honest with ourselves and be like, okay, like me paddling out that day, I had had an eye surgery, so I hadn't been in the water in six weeks. Right there, that was a dumb decision. And I knew it getting on the board. And, and I think that's what made me nervous. And when I was out there, it was like, hey, you've been surfing all your life. You're from here. You're in your backyard. Don't worry about it. And I was like, I could hear that. And I was like, still not smart. I haven't been in the water. I'm not even conditioned for this if I get held mm-hmm. under. Like, this is stupid. I really felt that way. I was like, this is irresponsible. I have two kids. So the lack of preparation is what made it intensified my nerves when I have preparation. And I know I can hold my breath two minutes, whatever. That's probably going to be the worst thing that happens. I'm like, the competence builds your confidence. Mm-hmm. So I was probably going to give a hundred of my 40 at YMA, not smart, right? I would, I could be better, mm-hmm. but I think athletes, you make a decision um, when it's risky like that or whatever it is, because you got to find, you got to be able to be comfortable, comfortably uncomfortable mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. And, and when you're pushing the limits on things, no matter what it is, or you're trying to be the best at something, no matter what it is, it's just being honest with yourself is the most important thing. And if, you know, I'm 60%. If I'm 70, 80, I would take a me any day giving a hundred percent of whatever that is, because I know, I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And preparation is so important. Yeah. And, uh, a key, a key word there is like adversity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when you're in the water, you have to overcome adversities and you kind of touched up on it earlier is you had to come over adversities at a young age. Um, and I kind of want to go back to that. Yeah. And what are some some adversities you overcame at a young age that maybe set you up later in life to help you overcome some advers- adversities that came later on? Well, I was, I definitely was faced with being in survival mode at a young age. Um, I had parents, you know, they had me and, and I'm grateful for that, but there, there were some challenges that individually they had me when they were very young. And so they, you know, were kids having kids and, you know, um, without getting too specific into details of it. Um, I really, I really believe that that adversity, even when you go through several years of your life, you don't really realize that it's serving you at certain times. But I think adversity, I know adversity breeds strength when you allow it. And that's again, the choice that we have, how we choose to react when we get knocked down. Some people, they start to become defined by the way they were raised or my mom was this, or my dad wasn't this to me or did this to me. And they live in that victim mentality. And I say victim mentality because there, you, when you're a child, you are a victim if something happens to you and a parent or an adult or somebody crosses you or, you know, betrays you in that way. Uh, and you either stay in it or you go out in real life and you recognize what's right, what's wrong. And you see that and you're able to process it and go, okay, that's not right. What happens to me, but I do have a choice. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I always saw the choice and took it. I, I made a different choice. I went away from that. I went towards where, you know, I could be as far away from that as possible mm-hmm. and do the opposite of that. So I think it comes down to choice. Mm-hmm. We have our health, um, certain things that happen to us in life. We, we don't deserve it, but you know, like failure, I always tell my athletes, don't make friends with failure, but learn from it. Mm-hmm. Um, be humbled by it. You have a choice how you're going to deal with it. You know, if you strike out, you can go flip out, you can throw bats, you can throw helmets, you can do certain things and take away, but probably six, seven pitches has already gone by by the time you've gotten back in there for your teammate. And now you've got to go back on the field so you can make it about you or you can recognize what that is in that moment and choose to react differently. You know, we have a choice and I made different choices at a young age and that adversity has definitely come to serve me now 
You know, I'm a single mom and there's been a lot of challenges in my life. Even over the last couple of years, it's been some of the hardest times of my life, to be honest. And I've often looked back exactly that and gone, you know what? I'm so grateful for what I went through because that was by myself. I didn't even see or understand the seriousness of it in the moment. But now I see where it's serving me because now I have two little guys Mm -hmm. that are looking at me to provide for them, to be everything they need me to be. And like my sisters were my motivation and inspiration before. And now these guys are. Do you feel like fighting like jujitsu helped you adversity wise? Like, was it an outlet or Um, why did it start? Martial arts. I took martial arts at a really young age and then got away from it um, when I went to college and then got back into it after. I think that I, I felt insecure as a kid in terms of my own physical safety and and everything else from the inside out. And I think that's what propelled me to go and like learn to gather tools to be protecting myself because I was in environments where I needed to. And then after that, it was more like I had my kid. I moved to San Diego. It was kind of like felt that competitiveness in me still. I was like, do I go back and surf and like really try to like take that seriously? But then that would take me away. So um, one of my friends was like, or actually my brother-in-law um, was a black belt and he had a little dojo in the garage in Kauai. So when I go see my sister, I'd be, Hey D come out and train with us. And I'll go out there and give my life to like, <laughs> you know, and if you know, jujitsu strength is definitely not on your side when you're acting that way on the mats. And I would get so, I get so pissed. I was like, how can these people like, look at this guy, look at this girl. I can't, I can't understand how they're holding me down, doing all these things. <laughs> so I said, when I go back to San Diego, I'm going to train. And my brother was like, yeah, find a place to train. And so, I went into a Gracie dojo and started, I walked right in and right away I was in the competitive mindset without just like, Hey, I just want to learn a martial art and just like get fit and do this. No, I was like, Hey, what are the competitions? Is there world championships? Like, what do we got? And I know they were looking at me like no chance, you know, imagine how many people, and I'm now seeing it, how many people walk in and like, yeah. And then it's just not, they are not committed, but these guys really didn't know it was walking in there. And I was like, are you guys good enough to teach me to, to win something like that? And they were like, yeah, we could do that. And I was like, okay. All right. So here's two years up front. And they were like, wow, she's not. <laughs> and then in six months, like I went and um, did the Pan American games. I fought my first worlds and I won. And then they were like, Oh, you're That's serious. <laughs> yeah, it does. You know, the, I, I just look at it like fighter mindset. Okay. It's not like jujitsu helps me with adversity, but if you think about it in real life, like I was working with Demi Lovato for a few years and I was telling her like, Hey, if I go choose crappy training partners, I'm going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. So who am I, who am I surrounding myself with when I'm off the mats? You know, because I've definitely surrounded myself with some wrong people and gotten very hurt. So, and translating that, you know, it's just, goes back to a lot of different things. It's the support structure and who we surround ourselves with is so very important. And I think jujitsu's taught me a lot about that. It's taught me a lot about leverage and um, technique, beating strength. We don't go around muscling people around to get what we want. Sometimes we have to be step back and, and leverage and look at what our leverage is and understand our strengths and weaknesses. And you and I have talked about that. So I think the fighter mentality um, mixed with the athlete mentality with that nurturing survival sense is really the experiences I pull from and the mindsets and the, the ideals within them and all the little lessons to do what it is I do. So, yeah, it, it makes it fun. It's interesting. Just sitting here, I'm like, wow, you are a badass. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no. like, everything you do, I'm like, professional surfer, fighter, you just kill it. What's crazy, I, but it's crazy because 
like your recruiting story, that's not typical. Yeah. Like yeah. The, you're walking into a dojo and saying, is there a world championship? That's not normal. <laughs> so I just, I just, and think then that's everything amazing. like you, you speak of it like, ah, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy. It's so it's like, what do you feel like your athletic ability kind of set you apart and everything you did, it just kind of came natural? Or do you think the mindset you had at a young age, like, was it a combination of the two, like the mesh? Or what do you think really put you up above most of your competitors or the people you were or in your same field? You know, I, I think it was a mindset and without knowing it, a determination that I had. Uh, it was the the will, the human will um, is so powerful. And I spent about 28 days um, on a TV show two years ago in October for Discovery Channel, where I was like basically starving and set, being set up to fail survival um, in the back country of British Columbia in the wilderness, oh, like in Whistler, during the whole month of October with the clothes on my back. <laughs> Literally, I think the jacket. No, I had a different Patagonia jacket. <laughs> but they know nothing with a knife and, and the clothes on my back. And um, there are a few people out there. We were out on missions alone. Um, it was called the Ultimate Ninja Challenge, I think. But I got to go to Japan and meet the last surviving ninja and go into his dojo and um, it, it was really crazy. <laughs> but I'll tell you, like, there's a lot, of course, like a whole nother story about that. But I get sucked into these things. And then I'm like, okay. And they're like, will you quit? And because at first they were like, hey, host the show. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Because I've hosted shows. And I thought that'd be fun, you know, go back into that. And um, then they came back. They're like, we're not going to go with the host. Like, will you do the show? I was like, please don't mistake being an athlete for being like a tree hugger. Like, I'm not like going out yeah. on hikes and making my own, you know, shelters. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> I I'm, I'm fierce, but I'm a girly girl. Like I don't make fires. Like I don't do these things. I don't know how to go get my own water. Like, yeah. you know, is there smart water available? Or am I going to be fed? <laughs> but you know, I am tough. I, I will not quit. And you know, you don't know, you can think you don't quit, but I watch like special forces guys quit, mm. um, to the elements. And I just, there were so many reasons why I didn't quit and it had absolutely nothing to do about me. You know, I speak to kids about anti-bullying and there's so much um, kid suicide going on and so many people in so much pain and so much fear because of social media. You know, violence has gone up 70% since 2011 and there's so many ugly things going on. And I'm up in front of these kids at schools at times and even my athletes, you know, talking to them about being fierce, being determined, going for it, you know, shaping and forming as you move through these spaces in life and these moments and, and your choice, what do you want to be? Like even talking about, I get goosebumps because it is so true and just don't quit, you know? And so many times I look back and I see that little girl like in the bathroom sleeping or getting up and trying to be something more than what I had control over at the time and being a hundred percent or whatever I was and telling these kids not to quit. So when I was out there, yes, I miss my kids. I was freezing, dropped down to like 10 degrees at night you can't sit on the ground. You can barely stand on it. If you don't keep a fire going, there's packs of wolves. There's bears like right there. I mean, there was like bear poop, like right next to me. There was not safety out there. What was on the show didn't depict what went on out there. You, when you're sleeping under the stars every single night for that many days, your demons visit you mm -hmm. and you're up in the night. It's so dark out that when you stand up, your equilibrium's off. And it just being put to that kind of test, um, solidified my human will and answered a lot of questions for me of the whys. How did I get through that? Why am I here? I don't look at it like anything extraordinary or spectacular. I really don't. And it is just like that. I look at it like I'm so grateful for the opportunity 
You know, I have friends in wheelchairs. I have people that are suffering from mental illness that don't have the capacity or the capabilities to do and be where we get to be, mm-hmm. you know? So I just, I'm super humbled by it. I'm humbled by all the athletes like Braden that I get to work with and the kids that are out there. They're suffering, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to get upset, but they are. And, mm-hmm. um, to be able to get up in front of them and be able to go, don't quit. And you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. It matters to me. And so I just look at that and I just feel humbled that I have the opportunity to do that or to speak in front of people or to share and, and to learn from them and to be motivated by them and inspired by them. So, you know, when I go out and fight, it's not for me. It's, it's not fighting to like hurt somebody, even though there's days I want to, but <laughs> Um, it's, it's sport. It's, it's the love of it. It's the love of the game, the love of sport, the love of the heart that it takes to be the best and, and to keep going. Mm-hmm. One thing that I want to touch on that it, it almost seems like a change that happened through your childhood into adulthood, right? So it sounded like you were extremely independent and you didn't want to put anything on others or mm-hmm. have to rely on others when you were young. But then you talk about later how you relied so heavily on your support systems, right? So at what point did you make that change where you did start allowing yourself to rely on others and, and really utilize those support systems and how important do you think that is even now being such a support system mm-hmm. for others? Um, like obviously you understand the value of it, but when, when did that change happen for you when you started allowing yourself to really rely on others or actually lean on others a bit when you were going through adversity? Yeah. You know, that's never been a strength of mine. Um, it still is, difficult for me to ask for help. I realize we all need it at some point and um, I'm trying to get better by, by that. Uh, I think we're all a work in progress and that's definitely one of my big weaknesses is asking for help or saying, Hey, I'm not okay. And I don't think I really relied. I I wish I had, I wish I'd said more things, um, expressed it, but just my experience at that time with people was, I dealt with a lot of betrayal, a lot of, um, abuse on all levels and different kinds. And I just, I just pushed through and thinking wiser to just rely on myself. I knew I could trust that. I knew I could trust, you know, going to a ball game and just keeping in the moment. I was, I think that I didn't have to learn to be in the moment because I fought to just find that moment to escape everything else around me. And as I got older, there's just been, you know, pivotal unbelievable people that have stepped up and said that one thing to me. And for me, that was leaning. That's like, as far as I would lean. Um, now I realize more than ever after, you know, I'd made some poor choices and people, um, I was physically assaulted really bad, maybe about five, a little over five and a half years ago. And that was, that messed with me a lot. Um, having had a black belt and thinking, you know, going around talking about anti-bullying, teaching personal protection, self-defense, and then having been like just rocked, you know, on a physical level, I, it, it shook me up and, um, it forced me deeper into more combatives, more ways I could try to find to protect myself to never get in a situation like that again. Mm-hmm. I don't like sitting around going, uh, this is wrong. That's wrong. I try to find a solution and the solution has an action attached. And then I move through that and the result presents itself. So this process is something I've come to trust, know that it works and, and, and continue doing in all aspects. Um, but I know, I know how important it is because I watched as I made changes and I've watched as other people have made changes that sometimes less is more, it's quality over quantity mm-hmm. and, and the people really can make or break us 
you know, it's like a team environment, you know, that toxicity, if you have one person on a great team, it can toxify a team. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so important to be our best selves, to show up, to understand the parameters of what we're dealing with. You know, team sports at Little League are very different than, you know, what Braden's doing. You know, there has to be an element of healthy selfish. We have to put our mask on first. We have to know our strengths, know our weaknesses. Then I can truly look at you and go, oh, this is my best self. And now I'm, now I can put team before self, but really people, people use that team before self and they think they're admirable in saying that. But a lot of people, a lot of wrong people, bad people, people with terrible energy that aren't responsible, aren't accountable, show up and they ride the shoulders or they can hide in an environment like that. So when you hold other, each individual accountable and you encourage each individual to go be their best self and then you join them to the team, you see a team, you see a team come in with a higher standard, um, a solidified culture. All these coaches are talking about culture, cohesiveness, this, that. The culture is co- cultivated by the people that make up that that space in that team. And the coaches are not the bosses of it. They need to bridge that mission, you know, kind of the mission statement of the team or whatever the theme of the team is. The coaches come in and bridge that and then and create the environment to maintain that and sustain that, to organize it, keep it consistent, you know? Yeah. And so it support is everything. I don't think that... I don't think that I'm good at leaning. I think I'm getting better. Mm-hmm. And and my awareness is definitely there. Yeah. And I, I love that you touched on culture and how culture is created because everyone these days wants to talk about building a culture, whether it's in a business or an organization, whatever. A group of people is all seeking this culture. Right? Uh-huh. But your culture is created by your standards. That's it. And so I think all these people are... It's like um, the which came first, like the chicken or the egg, right? Like they're trying, they're trying to get, they're trying to get to this end point without just doing the work to create it to make it happen. Like yeah. the cultures, right, were created just by the environment and the people that were in them, and it was just the end result. And I think people are so um, they're they're so forward looking in that way without putting in the work to just make it organically happen. So, and I think one thing that Braden. Um, we are always talking in the gym, right? right? And it's awesome because it'll be like the day after you had a session with you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. It just goes from you to me. <laughs> yeah. to exactly. I love it. He's paying yeah. it forward. Yeah. It's, oh, it's amazing. I love it. But one thing we always talk about, and I know that you're big on, is standards versus expectations. Yes. And so if you want to touch on that, I think you'd be better than anybody because I've heard it from a third person point of view <laughs> and I, I know it's amazing yeah. stuff. So I, yeah. want, I want everybody to hear that. Well, you know, the words are great. They can be fancy. And then these people are going to like these self-help seminars and then they're there and you're fired up around the energy and then you get in your car and you drive. And even like having a sports psychologist myself working with one, you know, through sports and I have mentors now, but I, I don't know if I'm a slow learner. I don't know if I'm dumb. I don't know, but I would be like, let's say out in center and I make a mistake and I would not be able to translate the tools that I was told or the words or when this happens, I'd just be standing out there livid, irate, like eyes welling up where I can't see because the tears are in my eyes. I can't see now, you know, the batter, I can't see what's going on. And I'm like, why is this not working? I'm looking around at my teammates and it seems like they're all okay. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm the only one. I'm the idiot out here. Like these, you know, the fancy words and the motivational speeches and all these things. I'm like, how does that translate? Where are the tools? Mm-hmm. How to, you know? And so I think with me working with these guys, I, I'm like, if I can't give them a how-to or an action attached to the words and the ideas, or I can't force them into an uncomfortable space to define what makes you confident, 
what stresses you out. Not confidence is something that you know, you, I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to keep prodding and pushing because I will force you to be comfortably uncomfortable and you'll get in that space and then you'll grow. Then you will get the results. Then you will perform more than you even realized you could and get you out of your own way. Mm-hmm. So the standards and expectations standards is who are we? What's our package? Who is Braden? If you take the Mariners jersey off and you put a different one on, mm-hmm. does it, you know, are you like, what am I going to do now? No, I want them confident in who they are, the choices that they make. I want them to have an awareness of what are my weaknesses. I want them to be brave enough to work on their weaknesses and not just focus on the strengths where they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your standard in terms of what kind of friend are you? What kind of sibling are you? What kind of son or daughter are you? How do you treat people? You know, how do you leave people feeling? What's your character? You know, um, what's your integrity level? And, and it's not me to judge you. I want you to know that for you. I don't, it, it's not my business what those things are. But if you know those things, then I know during the season when you're striking out a lot, I'm going to ask you certain questions based off of what I know of you to be. If you're a committed individual, then why aren't you committed to your game plan in the box? Why are you straying from your plan? Because you set up on the outside and he's throwing inside and you're changing your mind now, stepping back in, going, I'm on the inside now. And now he's going back out and you're missing, you know, outside strikes. That, that's where you would have been. That's the pitch you were looking for. You know, like, it's just, you're, you're not playing to your standard. You're playing to the expectation of the result. Mm-hmm. And I think in life, if we can lower our expectations and raise our standards, then you're going to be in a more honest space. You're going to be a more productive, efficient human being all around in your relationships and then translating that same concept to your, what you're doing. You're going to pay attention to a process and you're going to respect it. And, and you're not just playing by someone else's rules. You know, Look at the game of baseball. It's set up based off of failing seven out of 10 times. What other job can you go do and fail seven out of 10 times to have a job, right? So it's a very false sense of security. So the way I look at it, and everybody you know, has their own way, but why not approach it mentally like, hey, it's a game based on failure. It's a known mental game. You better have a fancy, pretty locked down, solid, um, shiny mental game plan if you want to keep being successful and sustain in a league like that, in com- competition like that. And the game's changed immensely and is changing. So the way I look at it is if we focused on minimizing the failure, we're automatically maximizing the potential of success. And if I'm looking at my weaknesses and acknowledging them, I'm being a much more well-rounded person, therefore feeding into my confidence because I'm more competent in the area that I was kind of afraid to kind of venture or I know is a problem for me. It's a mental block already. So if I just face the mental block, don't resist it anymore, then I'm therefore strengthening my strengths without technically working on my strengths. I'm working on my weaknesses, turning them into strengths. So now I just have more strengths. And I'm minimizing my failure rate by doing that, therefore maximizing my potential for success. Yeah. So it's a very upside down, backwards way of going about it. But when you do, um, our brains are already taught to expect, you know, your guys like, hey, you did this. I expect you to do this. Mm -hmm. These players go in or people, they think, well, I hit, I hit, was three hours in the cage. I expect to get a hit. And then they're like snapping, losing, Mm -hmm. you know, their mind. But expectations are just that. Like we're not entitled to absolute anything. Mm -hmm. We're not entitled. 
and everybody thinks they are. And especially in this society, it's like, I'm offended. I'm this, I'm that. It's like last time I checked, nobody ever died being offended. Yeah. <laughs> nobody was killed. Yeah. You know, so I don't really care. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I have a very soft side to me, but I'm very realistic in terms of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I have been through a lot and I do understand that that entitlement, um, if I was that way, then I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I would be, mm-hmm. but it, it's just, it's weak. Yeah. And, and, you know, people need to toughen up. They need to step into their own skin and know, know what makes them confident, know and understand what stresses them out and why and what can they do about it rather yeah. than sit there in that space. So making excuses one it's like it's perfect because i wanted to ask on it and i think you just touched on it again when you're talking about weaknesses and earlier you said what we resist we strengthen yeah right and so it's it's amazing that you're having your athletes like lean into that like lean into the fears lean mm-hmm. into what their weaknesses are because if not like it's always going to be in the back of your mind and you think that by avoiding it you're going to you know help yourself because you're avoiding those weaknesses but like you said if we resist it, it's going to strengthen. You right? guys own so, a gym, right? So mm-hmm. when you put people to resistance training, what's the result? Yeah, strength. They get stronger, they get mm-hmm. bigger. If we resist problems, and you know this too, you can probably think things are going to pop up in your head when I say it. What we're trying not to deal with, like it just gets worse, mm-hmm. it gets bigger. Mm-hmm. It creates anxiety in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You so know, anxiety, how, go ahead. How do you help people to lean into that? I find out about them. The more they give me, the more I give them. I tell my guys, I need you know, this is vulnerable work. This is not your normal mental skills, like turn to page 46 and I'm going to talk to you about anxiety or any of these things. You know, I fill them out. I get to know them. I understand what their strengths are, where even sometimes more than they do by asking certain questions that aren't just perfectly direct. And I understand they're high, they're low. I look at where they're at. I look at what's going on in, in their game. It tells me a lot. Um, based off of what I see in their talent and kind of kind of see maybe more for them than they see. Um, that's a lot, a lot of the times what happens. And then I understand, I build a parameter, a mental parameter in my own mind for them. And then that's where I start kind of building their blueprint for whatever their approach is going to look like, what their routine is going to look like. So as they start seeing this, they don't realize they're getting in deeper. Mm-hmm. And then I start giving more questions, posing more challenges, asking them to do these things. Please go out and work on your weaknesses. Infuse failure into your workout. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to be a great athlete, you need to do that. Like if I'm training for a fight, I can't just train for what I'm going to do because I got to assume I will possibly get caught up in some bad situations. If I know that bad situation and how to get out of it, then I'm not as worried. I stay relaxed. My energy stays relaxed. You know, there's a predator prey thing that goes on. As soon as you start feeling the weak, you start going hard. You see, even in MMA fights, as soon as they get the one, you know, kind of clouded hit, they just attack because they see the weakness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I can eliminate a lot of that weakness and that that sense during a fight, I can stay calmer. It throws the other person off. Mm-hmm. Tends they'll tend to start moving quicker or or depending on the pace. If you look at that with a batter and a pitcher. You know, there's an energy that goes on. There's a energy that goes on with a catcher and a runner, you know, and you, it's like, you feel it. You don't even see the catcher's face, you know, like, okay, they, they mean business. It's just a body language. It's a thing. So I can tell these guys, these things, I can tell them the obvious bring intensity. I, this is what I despise. Bring intensity. Mm -hmm. Let's hit the ball hard. Yeah. Let's hit the ball hard. (laughs) Thanks. Brayden, would it be harder for you to hit it harder or soft? (laughs) Soft. Oh, yeah. 
right? So let's hit the ball hard. He's laughing because these are the things that get said like, mm-hmm. hey, let's be aggressive. Let's do this. Like, what do these things mean? Yeah. So I bring life to these things. I bring definition to these things, not mine, yours. Yeah. I make you tell me mm-hmm. what these mean. And then I tell you what you're saying. Like, do you realize what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to hunt the ball. Have you ever hunted before? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what hunt means? Mm-hmm. And then they laugh and I'm, and I'm like, I'm serious. Have you hunted? Have you been hungry and had to hunt? Mm-hmm. Because it's very different than what you're saying to me right now. Yeah. You know, but when you bring that element to it, they like, you know, they're guys they are like, yeah, like mm-hmm. they're fired up. You, you create a fascination in their mind for exactly what they're doing and give them, there's so many games. I love baseball because there's so many games you can play within the game. So every week you've got 180 days, 162 games. What am I going to say to these guys when they're struggling at bat? Like people are like, what do you say? It's like, I don't know. It comes to me. I don't yeah. try to have an expectation, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm watching their results. I don't want them watching those. Mm-hmm. I want them focused on the moment, competing with what's right in front of them. Yeah. You know, and it's just the difference of if you have a pitcher, I'm throwing to batters. That's not your job. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is my job? Well, wow, it's amazing. You don't know what your job is. Your job is to execute pitches one at a time. Mm-hmm. What pitches do you have? What pitches are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? Let's work on these now. I don't like that one. Too bad. We're working on this one. Yeah. So then they have the choice. Go to do work and, and do the work and then come to me. Tell me how it's going. Let me, let me see. Sometimes I'll go out and see and I can see their body language. I, can, I get notifications on my phone. I can see their faces when they're going into the batter's box. I'm like, what was up tonight? I saw your face. Would, you know, or this happened. What's going on? You skipped this. I know you skipped this mm. in the preparation. So, I mean, it's like these constructed things. My brain is like crazy like that. You know, I just see all of what it needs to be. And then I package it up and in the language of this person, Mm -hmm. you know, like I I've gotten to know Braden pretty well. He's so immensely, I'm going to talk about your business now, Braden. He's so immensely detailed. He's extremely organized and um, he's very intuitive, but he has, you know, he's, he's still learning. He still has so much to learn because he's had such talent, you know, and his talent when you're an athlete and you're really talented, you're fast um, you have the tools in that way. You tend to not need the other ones so much at that time, but then you reach a certain level in the game and you're like, oh boy, these guys, like, they, I need something else, yeah. you know? And so we're adding that element to his game. And um, I'm excited because the learning curve, the not the learning curve, the learning curve, but really the um, improvement curve is so vast when you take it from the angles that I'm taking it from. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know where I came up with that. I think, yeah, exactly what you learn from jujitsu. It's that because during a fight and, and I was talking to Barry Bonds about hitting and it was so crazy talking to him because I was like, just talking about stuff like success versus the failure. Mm-hmm. And he asked me when you prepare for a fight, what do you prepare for? I said, I spend a lot of time on offense, but I spend more time on defense. I'll start in a choke. I'll start mm-hmm. in a really bad position. And the losing, the failure doesn't bother me. I hate it every time. Mm-hmm. I don't like getting tapped. But when I go into that fight, I know like, I know that no matter what happens, I have some game plans and how long I can last even in a choke. Let's say I got another minute and a half on the clock and I get pat- caught in a bad situation. I know I at least got a minute 40. I got a minute 20 on the clock. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this out unless she puts me out or unless she breaks my leg or my arm or my, you know, something. But I'll usually, I don't care. Sometimes maybe I will let it break. Because I'm up in points and now she caught me in the very end. And will I let my arm break? Maybe. Like, that's the crazy, you know, but if I've, it just depends. It's happened to me before. 
So I, I just, it's like, I care, but I don't care. And that's why I tell these guys, I strike out. I care, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. I immensely care. Yes, I do. Cause now I know the next seven weeks I'm going to be in a cast, but seven weeks and I don't care because I just don't, it's just <laughs> the nuts in me. I don't, but you know, training for the worst scenarios mm. alleviates the fear. Now, now I just go in and it's for fun. The process of fighting, getting to the fight was the hardest part, you know, spring training, when you get injured, getting ready, you know, gearing up. I have some players that came off surgeries, players that are, you know, nervous, living in a little bit of fear, have some anxiety right now. So working through that with them, giving them these elements of, you know what, you're going to, you're going to be okay at the end of the day, but no matter what you have the choice of, if you want to do the panic, which, you know, in the water, if you panic, you'll drown, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, I get when kind of shit hits the fan, I get eerie calm. So I try to talk to them that way and not just tell them it's okay but why is it okay? How is it okay? Because those were my words. Like, I'm sorry, you're saying these things to me, but how? Yeah. So giving that to people really, you give them some certainty that alleviates anxiety. Anxiety comes from uncertainty. So when you start thinking about your words and you think about what you're saying, what it means, how are they hearing you? Mm -hmm. You know, if he doesn't understand intention, and then I'm talking about intention or I don't know what makes him confident what makes me confident doesn't make him confident, mm-hmm. but people talk like that. Oh, yeah. confidence, hey, confidence. I've asked so many people, what is confidence? Yeah. And they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So we got to back up sometimes five steps, 10 steps, 20, 30 to take that many plus forward mm-hmm. and backing up. When you tell an athlete, I need you to back up. They're like, Whoa, no, I got this far. Yeah. You know, it's the expectation and, and that's okay. Embrace the expectation, but really, put your work in the standard. Yeah. And one thing that I've heard just from being with you for the short amount of time, but about your coaching style is that it's more about asking the right questions, right? Mm. And, and listening. Think, yeah. And in my own experience, um, I was the kind of person that sought advice too much. Right. And so on my whiteboard now, I've had it for two years there, it says nobody knows better than you. Mm. Right. And it's because I realized I was spending so much time listening to other people's advice. I wasn't listening to my own intuition. Right? Let me ask you this. Were you taking, were you taking action ever or were you just looking for the next more advice? I, I was just looking more. Right. right. And I think it's the same thing when people read self-help, self-help books, but never take any action. And like you were saying, like, it's not your own words. It's not your own answers. But if you start asking yourself the right questions, then you're actually going to get to the bottom of, okay, what's the issue and what is my answer? Right. Like, not what is just somebody's advice that I can read, put down the book, and my life's the exact same, mm. right? And you actually challenge yourself. Because like we've actually had this conversation with a mentor the other week when someone comes into a gym, you ask them, why are you here, right? And a baseball player is always going to say, to become better at baseball. Okay, what happens if you become better at baseball, right? And most kids are like, oh, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> why do I even want to be better at baseball? Like they don't understand the underlying factors. But that's such a surface level answer. I want to get better at baseball. Mm -hmm. Well, what will, what will that do for you and your family if you get better at baseball? And then you start to come up with your own answers. Like you said, rather than it just being the cookie cutter answer that you think people want to hear. Right. Well, life's not Instagram where, you know, people get used to the likes and the validation Mm -hmm. and it's not just about knowing either. Cause sometimes I say, I don't know. That's sometimes the most brilliant answer you can give is Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I tell these guys all the time, if I don't know, 
I will get someone on the phone who does and they will be brilliant and extraordinary and be the best at what they do mm. because that's who I choose to surround myself with to be better. I want to be the weakest link on any team I'm a part of mm-hmm. because then I know we're going to win. And that is how I pick teams. If I'm going to go do a race or run or something, I make sure I'm like the weak, the weak ass on the team. I'm serious. And the thing about asking the questions and things sometimes, okay, let's say I'm a black belt. I have an academy and I have students coming in. If, if I'm not, you know, I want them to look up to me. I want them to respect me. You guys own a gym. So people come in and they're asking questions and things. And I think it gets intimidating when you're at the top and you're like, what if I don't have the answer? They're not going to respect me. They're not going to want to come here. They're not going to want to do this. But I will say this, who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. We don't know. We're human beings. Mm -hmm. We're not superheroes. We're not invincible. We're none of those things. So my relatability to the people I work with, and I'll tell them straight up, like, you know, even when these guys are starting to get hot in the season, I'm like, dude, I will knock the Kool-Aid out of your hand. Okay. Do not drink your own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Have the mentality, your student mentality. Mm-hmm. Be humble. Your greatest commodity is humility. And if more people actually step back and if they knew what the word humility meant, mm-hmm. you know, it's don't drink your own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Be the student. It doesn't matter if I'm a black belt. The more, you know, I'll tell you something about a black belt. Hold your pants up. It's a white belt who didn't give up. whoop de doo Like it doesn't mean any, it does not, that doesn't mean anything to me, but what it does is it reminds me that I'm just learning. I'm just understanding that mm-hmm. thing. And it took me 15 years to get it. So I'm just understanding that, Yeah, you know, there's so much more to it and it's not even like, it's, it's not that big of a deal mm-hmm. to be honest. What's a big deal is when I get to work with guys like this and I see what I've gone through and all of the hardships, the good ships, the, the lessons, the hours on the mat, the hearing things, meeting with mentors, talking to these people that I can hand him something that can make his life better mm-hmm. on and off the field. Mm-hmm. my two things when I work with people, people are like, well, what's your, what's your goal? My goal, progress and results. Mm-hmm. If I'm working with a pro athlete, progress and results. Progress is them being a whole happy person, leaving the game with their family intact. Mm-hmm. Results get some paid, period. Let's be honest. There's a big pie out there. I want my players to take a biggest piece of it they can, and I will help them do that. Mm-hmm. Brayden, what do I say? You're a businessman off the field and a beast on the field. Mm-hmm. And I teach them where and how to flip that switch and how to move through that space with intent, being fierce, being determined, driven, and they know what all these things mean. Mm -hmm. They're all their own lesson. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier, like listening to your intuition. There's so many times in life that we don't listen to it and we question it and we think we can, our egos actually want to go, well, that's fine. I can do this or do that. Mm -hmm. I've gotten in a lot of trouble. I almost got killed not listening to my intuition. And I will tell you something about it. There's nothing greater in life. I mean, we're born with it. That is your first line of defense. That is your greatest tool, weapon, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. It's the hair on your neck that stands up. It's your goosebumps. It's the voice inside of you. And the more that you can listen to it, respect it, and kind of hone it, you know, like really hear it, stop, acknowledge it, and then own it. Mm -hmm. Do what it says. Because it's going to tell you the right way. And, and what I learned in life through adversity is that the right thing, doing the right thing, we all want to do the right thing. It's so inconvenient. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. It's really inconvenient. People have excuses. If you can stop yourself and back up in, in those moments, go, I'm really actually going to do the right thing. It does change the path of your life. Mm-hmm. It does. It's trying to pull you towards peace. 
Mm-hmm. It's trying to pull you towards, you know, being the best, better human, the best human you can be. Yeah. Sometimes it means taking less in that moment to get more later. And I promise you it will come. Yeah. It's a generous spirit, but it's generous to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what we've talked about, you just said it, you know, you're writing your own lesson. So whether you're a baseball player, a businessman, mm. you know, an accountant, a teacher, like I felt like I wanted you to tell me what my <laughs> lesson would be. But like I had to figure out what my curriculum was going to be, you know, like what I was going to live by, what I was going to, you know, pull from mm. in times of adversity. Mm-hmm. And like I think, you know, through our work together, I realized there's no magic pill. You know, you, cause yeah. you always hear like, well, you got to have a strong mental game, especially in baseball, but it goes for anything. But it's like until I define all these things, mm-hmm. you know, based on my own life, I realized I could make no progress in my mental game. And like, I just think it's unbelievable, you know, especially like, you know, making it to the major leagues and like seeing yeah. these elite performers and you're like, God, what makes them different? Like, I don't, I can't see it, Yeah, you know? And do you feel like, I mean, you work with a lot of elite performers, whether it's in sport or out of sport, like, do you notice a common denominator with them, you know, developing their own lesson and then living by it? Well, you know, with you, Brayden, you um, came into it. And I remember one of the first things he said to me, he said, where are the tools? <laughs> like, can what? Can I get one today? Yeah. Can I get one today? I, I'm in a game today. It was like first conversation. We were in Pittsburgh, and I'm literally <laughs> sitting in the hallway, like, please give me some tool. Like, please, I need. I'm playing today. <laughs> she, she's like, I'll calm. I'm like, no, it's serious. Like, yeah, you, <laughs> I need something in like 40 minutes. <laughs> that is what he said. This is our first conversation. Like, can I have a tool? Yeah. How? It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, intention. Yeah, um, hit the yeah. ball hard. Yeah, <laughs> hit the ball hard. Yeah, yeah. No, it. You know, are they all? What do they? What What do they have in common? Um, they're all crazy. You know, that's true. Yeah, you got to be crazy to be an athlete, and I don't meddle in that. I, I actually pour. Con, I have controlled fires, so I set controlled fires up and I pour fuel all over it and <laughs> and show them how to organize it. Um, I'm a fan of that. Um they're one percenters, you know, when you walk out the door, the rest of society, the bottom two thirds is average Mm -hmm. and that's a choice. And I call them B threes. And then there's one percenters and one percenters, um, are, are special people. They, you know, I believe a lot of times we're born that way. You know, Joe Montana was born to be Joe Montana, you know, then there's, you see the movie Rudy, right? Like there's those people that just have, they, they have the determination. They want to fight for something bigger, but they're not, they're not Joe Montana, you know? So I think when you're an elite performer, when you're somebody who's elite um, in terms of talent and natural ability, that's one aspect. And I think in a game like yours and at that top level of sport or, you know, top level of business, you've got to fight and find ways create ways, be outside the box, be unorthodox about being 1% of the 1%. And I think that's where I really um, thrive and I'm fascinated by that difference. What's that difference? So I tear it apart. I, I'm i meticulous about it. Um, I try not to overanalyze. I was going to tell you earlier, overanalyzing um, paralyzes you mm-hmm. from actually going and starting. Yeah. And that's a fear-based thing because 
you're thinking, what if I'm wrong? What are they going to think? What is this? What's that? And sometimes it's a fear of failure. So I encourage you to make, don't make friends with failure. Mm -hmm. I I can't stand it, but I majorly respect it. It's like an opponent of mine. I'll walk up, I'll shake your hand, I respect you, but I'm going to tear you apart. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try not to let you do that to me, you know? And failure is 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 humbling you can be humble you can have that in those moments you think you're humble you can be humbled again and again and it'll just make you better if you choose to let it and you and you react to it but don't overanalyze things in terms there's a fine line of i want to have structure i want to be organized i'm preparing and i'm and then i'm going to launch this yeah i want to feel ready that's it okay but it's like having a kid okay i remember when i was pregnant i was like i have the crib i have everything i'm they're like are you ready i'm like I, it's coming out. <laughs> I don't have a choice, you know? Um, and it came, I was, I know I was not ready. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just looking at this kid in a little car seat, like, do I take you out now? Just, what do we do? do I, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just go, Yeah. just go like fire up and go. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's my personality. And if I fail, I'm going to be pissed, you know, but I'm going to, I'm going to quickly mental toughness. I'm going to snap to that and react. Cause that's mm-hmm. fun to do that. It's fun to go. Yeah, I'm in this. I'm actually doing the work. Mm-hmm. And if you're fascinated by process, fall in love with it. If you're not, find a way. Mm-hmm. Be fascinated by it. Step back. Take steps back. Look from different perspectives. You know, I go to basic white belt classes because I'm looking at it through a black belt lens mm-hmm. and I'm seeing things in a basic armbar that now I can make better. And I was like, gosh, I can't believe I was doing it that way. I'm going to do it this way now. Mm-hmm. It's just better. You know, and it's maybe not something you can see better, but it's something I feel and I know I'm doing it better. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by the little details of things and how, how it's going to work. So that, that mental gain, that mental capacity to being elite. Yes, you're right. You can be elite in anything you do. You know, you guys are gym owners. You guys can be different by stepping back and going, you know what, when people walk through here, we size them up. We see their strengths. We see their weaknesses mentally, emotionally, physically, all three of those things go together Mm -hmm. because if I can alleviate anxiety out of a player, he's going to get hurt less. Mm -hmm. I have players that are riddled with like little injuries and I'm just like, I look at their injuries and I'm like, it's not normal to baseball. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean freak things can't happen because they do. Mm-hmm. But when you see a guy with riddled with in, injury, but he's so good, I already know right there you're anxious. Mm-hmm. I know that. And I'll, and I'll ask questions and find out. I won't be too evasive until he gets to know me. Then they know I just call him, hey, what's up? What's the O for 12 going on? Let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'll dig. Mm-hmm. And, and by that time, there's a relationship established and- you know, I'm direct because I need to be, because that's what they need me to be without yeah. knowing it, you know? And if you're offended, oh, well, look at my face. I care, but I don't care Yeah. because I'm now pushing you out of your own way mm-hmm. and I'm going after what we need to do. And it's a we, because it's lonely at the top. When you're a one percenter and you fight to go be one percent of the one percent, you will be lonely. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're married, doesn't matter anything because most people aren't going to understand that mindset. And then when you step off the field, you need, to, you're not the beast. The beast doesn't go in the house. Mm-hmm. The beast stays in the locker room. You shut it down. And now you take that intention. You take that action from the intention and you put it into your person. And now you're very, you're very present. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, be in the moment. Let's be in the moment, guys. Like, do you think teenagers know how to be in the moment? No. No. 25-year-olds don't know how to be in the moment. Mm-mm. I know. Some of them don't know what confidence is. I know. Because I ask them. Mm-hmm. You know, and these are smart individuals that are professionals and they do not know. Yeah. You know, so, and, and I don't think I knew, I think that's why I say I'm, I'm blessed because that is the space I moved through trying to avoid other spaces. So I, I got, I guess, lucky in that sense. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and all these things, all the failure, all the tears, all the great successes have brought me to this moment. Like even being here with you guys, I'm, mm. I'm learning so much, even though I'm doing most of the talking. No, we're learning. <laughs> no, I am. I but am. It's the, it's the flip of what you do, right? Like we're asking you questions and it's making you evaluate your own actions. And it does. That's where you come to the best answers is when you are asked the right questions. Right. But one thing I want to talk to you about, especially because of the type of people you work with, right? Like with athletes or with any high performers, um, I think a lot of them rest their identity on that, right? So mm. when you have an athlete, and obviously you talk about how you need to kind of assess the human being first, mm-hmm. right? How do you feel about an athlete resting their identity on their sport or any any elite performer resting their identity on that? Do you think that that is valuable or do you think you need to kind of separate yourself and your identity from what you do? Well, first of all, I tell, you know, let's say, my athletes, first of all, I tell them, do you like how I just repeated my sentence? First of all, <laughs> first of all, um, <laughs> I, I always tell them what you're doing doesn't define you. Mm. Your purpose has not yet come. Yeah. Because in all my sports and everything I've done, that was not my purpose. Mm-hmm. I found my purpose after basically God decided to drop me on my head. He's like, she's not listening. Let me really <laughs> drop her on her head. Yeah. And, and I got up and I was like, I hear you. Okay. You can drive the bus. I've been thinking I drive it and you're sitting in the passenger seat, but now I'm going to move over. And, you know, our purpose, these guys are, these are platforms Mm -hmm. they're building and they're getting stronger on it and they're, they're being tossed and they're being tested and they're being put to the grind and they're back to the wall. And, you know, whatever you believe in, if it's God, something in the universe, it's sitting back watching you and it's, and it's preparing you for your purpose. Mm -hmm. And, I just don't, I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing to say because some athletes are defined by it, whether I say it or not. And if, even if they don't hear it like that, they might never have heard it. So it's all they know. They have parents or a dad that pushed them and, you know, they feel like they get love based off of how well they do. You know, I have an athlete in college the other day. She told me, um, I didn't choose this college. I chose this one. So my parents disowned me. I was shocked and it, and it, and they are, they are standing behind it and owning that. And you hear these things and I've coached little league for 11 years and I've seen all kinds of crazy parents pushing their kids to play. And I'll be like, yo, you, do you want to be out here? And they're like, not really. And I'm like, okay, cool. So just tell me what you want to do. Because between these white lines is your space, not your parents. Or, hey, kids, who, who wants their parent out here helping? If you don't, they don't need to be out here. Because mm-hmm. this is your space. Yeah. Like, I'm very protective of that space and really giving a kid like, wow, actually, somebody cares. Somebody hears yeah. me. Somebody sees me. So things defining us. It has a lot to do with how we've grown up and and mm-hmm. and what our like what's what's been shaped in our head in terms of those things. But if you ask me my opinion and what I think and what I feel like I've been conditioned through, it's that we are given these platforms and and baseball or surfing or mm-hmm. jujitsu or whatever. Those things do not define me at all. Like it when we talk about it or like you're saying you're like you say it like it's no big deal because for me it's not. For me, working with someone like Braden is a big deal. I'm I'm now taking a hand in his life mm-hmm. and the results that happen to him and how he feels and his happiness and his his heart, you know, and that is serious. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So that's why, and I'm fascinated by it. So I think different things in life define us at different times, mm-hmm. but in the big scope of things. And that's why when somebody goes through hardship or you see somebody come in your gym and they're struggling, you're like, hey, it's okay. And it is going to be okay. It's different than if you're like, hey, it's okay. Or you're like, 
hey, no, it's okay. Yeah. You know, and you share something where you fell. Mm-hmm. And your choice of how you got up is what defined you, not how you fell. Mm-hmm. You know, so sharing, being vulnerable. Vulnerability is a superpower. Yeah. It is. That's actually, I had that question written down and it was in your position. I think a lot of people in the beginning of that, being a mental skills coach where you're working with athletes, like you would feel, or you'd be tempted to act like you have it all figured out, right? Like, but the power of vulnerability and Mm -hmm. letting them know, Hey, like, no, I went through this. Mm -hmm. These are my mistakes. This is how I dealt with it. It's like, as an athlete, I'm sure you respect that so much more. And you've even said that, like, Mm -hmm. you don't feel pressured to give her any specific answer because she is vulnerable with you about what she struggles with. I was going to say that. I was going to say one of my favorite parts, like when we talk, I feel like I can, you know, because I feel like a lot of times you're trying to build this mentality. I feel like there's this, you're like the person who you're talking to might act like they have it figured out or act like what you're going through, they have never gone through something like that or Mm. don't be soft, you know. Mm overcome and (laughs) and i'm sitting there like wait but like this sucks you know like i just want you to tell me that it sucks yeah because i'm gonna feel better you want to be and then we can work through it yeah and like that's like you know the other day we talked and you know i felt comfortable enough to tell you like hey look you know i'm i feel really good about where i'm at i feel like i'm growing i feel like i'm progressing um you know i feel like i'm finally like a work in progress and i've admitted that and but I still have in the back of my mind, you know, I'm, I'm scared or Mm -hmm. I'm anxious. Like what if it happens again? Mm -hmm. And like for you to be like, well, why do you like, you know, why are you doing that? Yeah. Just overcome it. Like move forward. Yeah. And it's like, I feel you tell me like, it's, it's, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Like Mm -hmm. just let it be like, Mm. we're going to work through it together. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel like you have this like built up wall that like I'm trying to break down to just get you to like hear you console me. <laughs> yeah. Well, to hear you and and feel you, there's a difference because I will say if there's things I haven't, you know, come across or experience with another player, sometimes out, hey, well, I had this one guy do this, one of my clients did this. Like yesterday I put two two guys together. I said, you guys will make each other better. You're both class acts. Like you guys are great. Talk to each other. And they were like, oh my gosh, you know, it, it's important because I don't know everything. I, you know, Bruce Lee said, something about being just always a student and that really resonated with me because I'm complete work in progress. Um, and I just, I don't know. I have so much compassion because people think that your life is perfect. I know what that feels like. I know how lonely that feels when you're a pro baseball player, what could possibly be wrong with you? You know, I've, I've been at the lowest times and you know, you're on the cover of a magazine and they're just like, your life must be perfect. Look at you. Mm-hmm. You have your own show. You're this, you're that, or even I'm sure they look at me now and think things. Um, and it's, it's lonely instead of going around defending yourself. No, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. You know, it's, it's just, I think before you go through different phases of life where you're more defensive or because of insecurity or you're more like just angry or because of certain things. And you look back and you're like, okay, I'm so glad to be in this place of being calm enough. And I think, you know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be obviously and in a place, but when you come to me and and I can tell, you know, like I know he's believing these things. I can tell it's a scar. And we talked about like, Hey, fear past things happening causes a trauma causes PTSD. PTSD is not something just veterans have. 
You know, post-traumatic stress disorder is is very serious and it can come from the smallest thing, but people are afraid to say those things because they're like, well, it's not as big as that. So I won't mm-hmm. say it. I'll stuff it. I'll resist it. It's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So I, I just smile when, you know, you came to me and you're like, I'm legitimately scared. This is how I feel about things because last time this is what happened. And that makes so much perfect sense. To me, I hear clarity and I'm like, he has clarity. He's seeing it. So I'm, I'm not, but then that soft side of me is very much like, okay, I want to just give you a hug and say, it's going to be okay. I'm right here. I can't hit for you. You know that, but I'm, I want to <laughs> No, but um, I, it's like, you're not alone. We will pace through this. We're going to move through that space no matter what. And if you're doing your best, there's something that we've been taught as athletes and it's been ingrained in us just as much as I expect you to this. I, just as much the expectation is when we do our best, we can leave. If we left it all out there, we can walk away. Mm-hmm. And, and there's something so amazing about that. And that's not ever really talked about or focused on. What does that mean? It means that I did go through everything and did everything I could. But if you were going into this season and making no adjustments, you, you would still spring training and the pressures and all the hoopla would still leave you with an expectation that it's going to be different. But if you don't make adjustments and you're not brave enough to take steps back and go, I'm a work in progress. I have some major issues. I have weaknesses. I can't even believe I made it this far. Mm-hmm. I hear weaknesses sometimes out of people's mouth. I'm like, if you could do that and you never confronted this, don't even want to tell you what's going to happen during the season. It's going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. I've had players come out teeter-tottering, AAA, don't know if they're going to have a job, like having panic attacks, not sure what's going to happen. And you have them do it this way and they come out and have career years, like blow you out of the water career year where the management's not sure if that was a freak thing that just happened. So we're not really sure we're going to give you more money but we're going to do this another year. Mm -hmm. And then you come spring training and these guys that have had these major improvement curves, what do you think they walk in with an expectation? Mm -hmm. What do you think they got to go battle all the coaches on the side with the expectation? Mm -hmm. So now I've got to prepare them to fight against that energy to also come back in and be grounded and be like, I care, but I don't care. I got to move through this space and be focused on the next pitch. Cause baseball is tricky like that. It develops all this hoopla and all this crazy stuff, but if you're a pitcher, your job is to execute pitches one at a time. If you're an outfielder, your job is to be ready on defense, to explode, to make the plays and be impeccable about them. You know, if you're a hitter, your job is to go up. If I put you in a pitcher, if you're hitting into a cage and said, are you just going to let this guy come pound you? Mm-hmm. You know, is it you or him? That mentality right there would make you look at hitting differently mm-hmm. versus I'm going to stand here and look for my strike. Like, mm-hmm. But people get so complacent and they're so, they don't understand because they're in such a little box. And the analytics and all this other stuff. It's like at the end of the day, baseball was being played years ago without it. And some of those records have never been broken for a reason. Yeah. So what about the intuition, the power of it? What about, you know, playing, playing that way, using the technology, let it, okay, thank you for that information, but I'm going to take it and process it with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to own that. And if I screw up, then I'm going to get up and learn from it. I have my failure routine even like, Hey, my bad. You see me because baseball's got a funny chemistry like that. And anything, when one person goes down, you're like, whoa, like next thing you know, you're turning into the bad news bears, mm-hmm. right? But when the people are hitting around the lineup, that's also contagious. That energy is contagious. Unless you're the Houston Astros and yeah. you're just getting told pitches, then you wonder why <laughs> that's happening. No comment. Is that too soon? <laughs> is that too soon? Um, but um, 
it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just really, it's all interesting in terms of that. So I think that when you go and you, you have these preparations and you have the intention and you're listening to the intuition and you're like, you know what? I'm going to get this started. I'm just going to do it. I have the information. I'm going to do it. I process it. Now I'm going to see if it works. Mm -hmm. That is experience. Mm -hmm. Nobody can take that from you. Then you're like, you know, the guy next to you, Hey, what did you do in this situation? Why did this? Oh, I like that. I'm going to try that too, but now I'm going to go do it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's it. It's experience. Mm -hmm. But it's crazy because it really works. You know, when I develop a good set of standards that applied directly to me, you know, we talked about it the other day, you know, I'm on the Mariners caravan and you're interacting with all these fans and they're diehards and they want the Mariners to win. And, you know, they come up to me like, hey, man, like you don't hit like you just don't hit, <laughs> you know, or like you're just not like they're just like so straight up like, you know, you just you haven't been very good. <laughs> and like I get, you know, like if, it, if that's my identity and like I'm playing to those oh. expectations, like I'm sitting there like, oh, yeah. Do I suck? Like, are you with me working? Like, no, you're not. Like, have you faced Garrett Cole? No, you haven't. But instead, it's like, oh, like, yeah, you know, I'm working. But it doesn't bother me at all because, you know, like their expectation of me doesn't match the standards that I have. Mm -hmm. And like we, we, I was telling these guys, you know, like people will hit me up on social media and, you know, say like, oh, he's got no value. Like we can't trade him because, you know, he can't hit or. You know, just he's washed defensively. Like, I mean, stuff that. And you like, see the guy's got dad bod yeah. on his computer screen. <laughs> yeah, and like, so, you're really tough. So I started, I started like hitting the people back up. But instead mm -hmm. of being like, oh, yeah, man, like, are you with me? Like, you know, come see me. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, you're an aerospace engineer. That's awesome. I wish you nothing but success in your field. Man, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. And then they'll like delete the comment. Or yeah. like, oh man, I'm a huge fan. It's like, you just yeah. told me I can't hit. Yeah. You're not a fan. <laughs> but it's just like, it all comes back to when you actually define that stuff and actually can like see it to your life. It makes such a difference. Like but it's such a difference. But if you had, if you went into spring training and you played to the expectations of the coaches based off your performance last year yeah. and to those fans, Done. that is as good as he's going to be. Done. Mm -hmm. But if he plays to his standard, he will exceed those expectations. Yeah. So these players have gone in and their, their challenge is, oh my gosh, it's just completely different than last year. Last year I was afraid that I wasn't going to make it or I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And this year, now the coaches are expecting me to be this badass. Am I really one? Like, <laughs> don't worry about it. Let's go back to exactly what we were doing. It doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And then this year, like now multi-year deals, like career year, now their contracts are reflecting their performance and they're like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, that's okay. Let's go back mm -hmm. to what we were doing, you know, and pitchers becoming from relievers to closers, you know, living literally their dream. Mm -hmm. I've had a player last year. This was like one of the greatest calls ever he calls me. And, you know, I kind of mentally know game time starting. They're off their phones now. And I get this call. He's like, calls me twice. I was like, <laughs> what's going on? Hello. Hey D. Yeah. I can hear him walking <laughs> through the parking lot. Cleats. <laughs> Cleats. He's like, yeah, uh, it's a major anxiety right now. I was like, <laughs> what's going on, dude? What's going on? Talk to me. Why don't you stop walking around before you slip and fall or something? Like, I can hear his cleats scratching the ground. He's like, okay, so things are just really good. I said, <laughs> okay. And um, he's like, so good. Like, he gets emotional. He's like, I'm living my dream. Like, I can't believe this is what's happening to me right now. I can't believe 
I'm playing right now the way I'm playing and I'm getting the opportunities to play I never got before. And, and like my, my wife's awesome. She's awesome. My kid's awesome. And like, I just love this game so much. I'm, I'm so in love with my life right now. I was like, I was about to cry. I was just listening and I was getting nervous because I'm like, what do I say? <laughs> I was like, you're giving me anxiety. <laughs> and it was just like, he was just in, in over his head in gratitude. Mm-hmm. And it was so remarkable to me because this person had fought and scrapped so long, six years to get an opportunity that he so deserved. And I just sat in it with him and I, and he's just breathing. And I said, hey, just breathe, like, just breathe. Let's take a breath. It's okay. And he's like, what if it, what if something happens? What if it goes away? And I, and I said, I don't know. I don't know. I said, but we're going to, we're going to do absolutely, absolutely everything we can do to make it not go away. And I said, I just want you to know, like, this is, this is ground. This is like a foundation. You haven't even started what you're about to do. You know, and, and now I get like, I get beyond excited and fired up because I think, you know, this is a moment when we go in next year, you know, you got to play against this, not against it. You got to step into it and love it and cuddle up in it. But you also got to remember, like, put the cup of Kool-Aid down and go back. We're going to do the work. The work is what we're going to do. And that's really what he was in love with. And it made him love his game more. It made him love his family more. It made him love himself more. And everything he knew, he thought about himself, all these other people, coaches that were holding his opportunities were not believing in him. And he stepped back. And last year, in the very beginning, spring right about now, he was learning what standards were. He never even heard that before. And that's all he focused on. And his performance came to him. Results will come to you. you know. And I look at Brayden and I'm like, this is going to be a very different year for him. Um, He's going to go in and we have so much work to still do. We're just like scratching the surface. But the fact that he recognizes that and that these things can be said to him, these are people's expectations talking and you see how ugly they actually are. And even our own, you know, when we driving in our car and our expectations are letting us down or we're getting irritated by people and, you know, all that, what we control um, is absolutely nothing besides our, our efforts and our attitude, our attitude first and foremost. And when we're honest with ourselves, and we can move through a space like that, you know, it doesn't make us perfect. It's actually shows you all the imperfections Mm -hmm. and how we're perfectly imperfect. And to have somebody call me up, you know, when every other call was so different and then to get to that point is just, that's the reward. That's the why that's, you know, everything it's, it's, um, you feel just sharing that moment with somebody, somebody vulnerable enough to call you and want to pick you to share that moment with, it's like the most gratifying thing, you know, and to be able to have these guys, I don't take on a lot of clients at once to be able to have these guys trust me, choose me. Um, I'm always kind of like, you know, I am intimidated. It is intimidating because you have a hand in, in their life and their choices and their decisions and how they're going to behave when they're off the field too. You hope to influence them. You know, I'm not inspiring. I'm not motivating. I'm not, I don't think I'm a motivator. I don't, motivation is very temporary in my mind. But to be able to influence them, to give them something that somebody somebody can't take from you, um, that's what I always fought to have because things were taken away. Mm-hmm. People I loved were gone, going. I just never felt like, you know, that makes you feel not good enough. So when you're not, you're having opportunities taken away or you feel like every time I get up, I get out. And that's that's a scar. That's, that's stress. Mm-hmm. That's post-traumatic stress because now you're doing things different. You're yielding different results. 
And as small as they might be, you know, sometimes the little things are the biggest things. Mm -hmm. And if you focus on the quality of things rather than the quantity, the quantity will come. Mm -hmm. That's, it's funny you say motivation's temporary. And like, I'm so happy you feel that way because like, I don't want to get like a text message from you when I'm playing bad, like, wake up, wake up, (laughs) you know. It's like I'm awake. Overcome. I just can't, I just can't hit. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but you guys have anything else or no, that was a little wrap up question. Yeah. I think we got I mean, I could have wrote all, this whole book with what you just <laughs> said. Um, okay, last question. Uh, if you could prescribe one thing to the world and they have to do it for a month, what would it be? You could think on it a little bit mm-hmm. if you need. I would, I would tell them to pay attention to their intentions mm. and, and have intent with what you do and follow it with an action. That's, that's words, that's actions. People are like, oh, I, I judge you by your actions, not your words. But there's intentions. You know, people are like, I, I really wanted to call you, but I just didn't. But I wanted to do that, or I felt this way, but I didn't show it. Like, those things mean nothing unless they're followed through. So intention, action. Right. That's so good. I just want to say your your passion and what you do is so inspiring. Like <laughs> it's, I'm just sitting here and I'm like. I know. I texted her yesterday. I was like, yo, I was reading through your story. You are a badass. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. You are. And it's so genuine. Like yeah. you, can, you can just hear it mm-hmm. that you only care about who you're working with. And it's like you give them that time and it. It's just so freaking inspiring. Like I took so much away yeah. from that. No, thank yeah. you. Yeah, serious. She'll be, we'll be on the phone and like you'll hear like stuff in the back and she's like, hold on, hold on. And then she'll like kids. yell at her kids <laughs> and they're like, I'm driving. <laughs> like, I'm like, golly, this is great. Like, uh, thank you for the time. Yeah. Now, Brayden, I want to tell you thank you. Of course. Um, because when Brayden came into my life, um, he was in the process of losing his mom. And that was the coincidences that she went to UCLA. Mm-hmm that she was this crazy athlete raising two boys. I have two boys. I went to UCLA and it was just, it it really was one of those moments where it stops you in your tracks and you're like, God's putting me here for a reason. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm so grateful. I, there wasn't a day that went by. I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, he was sharing, you know, pictures and the moments. And, you know, he sent me this video. I was walking around in Arizona, this whatever baseball thing for my kid. And I had to run to a corner (laughs) And I was sobbing yeah. and I was just so taken aback. And I just kept thinking like, I hope my kids like look at me the way you mm-hmm. looked at your mom, loved your mom. Like just you sharing that with me meant the world to me. I mean, you, you mean so much to me and it's different than just like having a ball player and you're working mm-hmm. with these guys. I mean, I don't really take it like that anyway. I mean, sometimes you're on the phone like, Hey, I love you. Bye. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking <laughs> it because you just, <laughs> You just love them so much, you know, you like you want so much for them. You know, I have two boys that I'm raising and they're they're awesome. They're they're out of control. And um, but to come into the situation with you, with he has a brother, his mom, you know, he's got this spectacular parents, and then to watch what he went through and and the class and and playing baseball and doing what he's done. I mean, talk about adversity. Like he's a true champion. You are. And your brother's a handful. He's one too, but <laughs> they know, they you know, <laughs> you, you, you're a class act and yeah. you know, kids, baseball's lucky to have you because kids 
absolutely, you know, it makes me feel good to go. Yeah. That's a guy I want my kid looking up to. Mm -hmm. I want my kid to be like that. And these guys look up to these guys, you know, and I, I, at first when I was like, who am I going to work with? What am I going to do? How can I leave this world better than when I came? I aim at the top, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're at the top. And if I can influence you to be the best person you can, and you're good at baseball, you get a little bit better at baseball too, then I win because so many people are going to win for that. And, um, thank you so much. Well, thank you. You just hyped me up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I know obviously people are going to want to get more information from you because they already got so much. I mean, I'm ready for more. I'm ready to record another podcast. We'll do part two. two. So where can people find more, um, from you about you and more information? Well, I, I published a book. I didn't launch it or anything because I was kind of shy about it, but it's called true from the inside out. Mm -hmm. It's on Amazon. Um, so I have a book on Amazon and it kind of tells a story. Uh, my favorite chapter in there is called um, Daughter of Westwood. It really talks about the the UCLA story in a little more depth. And um, my childhood and true boundaries and it's got a lot of adversity in there. It's basically about um, finding strength through adversity and um, not making excuses. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm working on another book um, coming up. And um, I guess that's it. I mean, I don't know why they want to find me. <laughs> Yeah, what about social though? Because I mean, you have true, yeah, true I have boundaries. True boundaries on Instagram. I have official Danielle Martin, which is, you know, I post some stuff of my kids and mm-hmm. stuff. And um, I'm not real organized on social media. <laughs> People are like, where's your work stuff? Where's your website? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't have a website. I don't talk about like ballplayers' names and things. Mm-hmm. Um, try to keep that um, under wraps and just keep their business their business. Um, I, I have a, a website called trueboundaries.com and it talk, that's very, needs some work. But um, it, it, it had more of my personal protection stuff on there and mm-hmm. booking seminars and things for kids. And I have a foundation called the True Boundaries Charitable Foundation where um, I just help kids. I'll get them a scholarship to a martial arts thing or sign them up for baseball or get them out off the street, out of a situation. Maybe they you know, had violence or been assaulted in some way and just mm-hmm. kind of help them. I don't like to have it be specific because, you know, I it would have been great if I could have gone to somebody and go, Hey, can I have a prom dress? Like little <laughs> things like that. So I kind of left it very open to being able to help in any way that I can or get a kid in a better place. So. Oh, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. Yeah. Thank Incredible. you. Thanks for having yeah. me, you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. You want to sign off or are we good? You sign off. All right, guys. Well, <laughs> that was the episode. We're all blown away. Yeah. <laughs> Episode five. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. That's another episode of the Strength Roots podcast presented by Hyperthrive Athletics. Stay up to date on everything HTA. Follow us now on Instagram at Hyperthrive Athletics. Strength Roots podcast. The growth starts here.